Well, good morning. As uh, Adam mentioned, every once in a while something happens in our world that's so significant that I feel I need to set aside what I was going to be talking about in order to address that subject. So last week we began a series called Fearless Less. Next week we want to continue that, which um, it seems like that series is very appropriate also for what we're going through. But today I want to answer some questions related to what's happening over in Israel. And some of the things people wonder about is why do we care about it? Why do we care about something that's happening in a country that's about the size of New Jersey, maybe a little bit bigger, and it's located halfway around the world? Why do we care about that? And why do most Christians support Israel? But also I think it's important to understand why so many people hate Israel. Why did 34 student organizations on the campus of Harvard University sign a document that said that all the atrocities that have taken place in Israel is Israel's fault? Why is that happening? And where does Israel fit in the prophetic calendar? And so I want to address some of these subjects here today. What I hope we understand before we're done here today is a few things. Number one, I want us to understand that Israel was, or I'm sorry, Christianity was birthed out of Judaism. Uh, we need to remember that Jesus and the disciples were Jewish. And Christianity is born out of that. The Apostle Paul talked about the fact that the Gentile church is like grafted into this tree whose roots go way down that involved Israel. And so we've come out of these Jewish roots. Second, uh, there are end times implications to things that happen over in Israel. When we're looking at uh, biblical timelines, end time type timelines, uh, we don't look at what's happening in America. We should look for what's happening over in Israel, and it does matter. And then third, I believe it matters to God what happens in Israel. Now, I'm not one of those types of pastors that necessarily looks at a particular event in history and then points to what a particular verse in the Bible and says, well, that's a fulfillment of that exact verse. A lot of ministers do that. I think that's, I think that's a mistake. In fact, it seems like they don't learn. However, having said that, um, we should have our eyes wide open because this could be the beginning of the unfolding of what God has planned for the world in the days ahead. Now, most of you don't know this, but I was actually planning to travel to Israel in three weeks. Uh, and so I, I imagine that trip is not going to take place. Um, I'm sure my wife wouldn't even let me. I also want to mention before I jump into this that um, some of the things I'm going to say may be a, a little bit disturbing and also that I'm going to be mentioning certain statistics. And different websites, different news organizations have different statistics. And I'm going to try to give you what I think are the latest and most updated statistics about this. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with what happened, about a week ago, last Friday, a group called Hamas, which is classified by our country and many, many countries around the world, probably most countries as a terrorist group, invaded Israel. They launched an unprovoked surprise and unprecedented attack in Israel. They attacked by land, they attacked by sea and by air. There were actually paragliders who flew into Israel. In the early hours of that attack, initially 2,200 rockets were fired indiscriminately into Israel. Most of them were intercepted or destroyed by what's called the Iron Dome. That's Israel's air defense system. 
Hamas later bragged that they had sent 5,000 missiles in, and that's probably more accurate now, at least. As of a couple of days ago, 1,300 Jewish men, women, and children were killed. Almost all of them were civilians. Almost 100% of them were civilians, including about 250 who were attending a music festival. The Arabic news agency, not Jewish, but Arabic news agency Al Jazeera wrote about that. They wrote video footage circulating on social media showed the gunmen descending in paragliders on the gathering. Others came by road. Dozens of Hamas fighters opened fire on the young Israelis who had come together for a night of electronic music to celebrate the Jewish holiday of Sukkot. Videos compiled by Israeli first responders and posted to the social media site Telegram show armed men plunging into the panicked crowd, mowing down fleeing revelers with bursts of automatic fire. Many victims were shot in the back as they ran. Now, in addition to those that were killed in this initial attack, 3,200 at present have been wounded, and we know that between 100 and 150 people have been taken hostage. We know that about 27 Americans have also lost their lives. Now, in response to this attack, the Prime Minister of Israel declared war on Hamas. He called into active duty 300,000 soldiers. Now it's about 350,000 reservists. And they did a counterattack, and health authorities in Hamas I'm sorry, in Gaza, health authorities in Gaza have said that about 1,900 now have died there. 7,700 have been wounded on the Hamas side of things. Now, one of the problems with this whole battle is that Hamas, we know, uses its own citizens as shields. We know that they set up their military operations in places like schools and hospitals and mosques. And they do that so that when another country attacks or whatever, that there'll be innocent civilians who will lose their lives and then they will begin to win the media war. And we need to understand that about uh, this particular group. Uh, They themselves have said they value death just like we value life. And this is true. And this explains why, by the way, most of the world is is united in, in condemning Hamas. I have to admit that this has been a little bit of a surprise to me because usually the news media is against Israel. But in this case, no one can deny what's been happening where Hamas went in and just killed innocent people. They were going door to door. They were gunning down families. They were killing babies. And it gets worse. There have been beheadings and people are being set on fire. Women are being raped. And none of this is disputable. Nobody can dispute this. And so because of that, the news agencies can't ignore it. They have to side with Israel in this case, although that may change in the days ahead as the casualties mount over in the Gaza Strip. Now, let me show you a map of this. And I'm, I'm laying all this down as just a, a background to understand what's going on so you have a clear picture of it before I get into the biblical response, because I have several points related to how I think we as Christians should respond. But here's a map that was provided by the BBC. You can see that Israel is in the center of the map, and according to my research again, Israel is just a little bit bigger than New Jersey. It has a population of 9.4 million people, and you notice that it is bordered by Egypt, Jordan, Syria, and then at the top is Lebanon. 
Now, currently, Israel has full diplomatic relationships with Egypt and Jordan. So those are the two largest borders, and I think that's a good thing. But then Syria and Lebanon have been against Israel from the beginning. There's another group that's operating out of both of those countries, Syria and Lebanon. It's called Hezbollah, and they also are regarded as a terrorist group. Most of the world regards them as a terrorist group. Both Hamas and Hezbollah reject Israel's right to exist. Their goal is to annihilate all the Jewish people. That, that is their goal. It's their stated goal. They want to turn this entire area into a Palestinian state. By the way, the last time I was in Israel, I was standing by the fence that separates uh, Israel and Syria up there near the top. And our guide pointed across the fence and he said, the people over there are ISIS. And I just couldn't believe it. Because here we were standing right at the edge of Syria and knowing that the enemy was just across the border over there. Now there are two areas that are white on this map and they represent areas that are controlled by the Palestinians. The larger area that's called West Bank uh, is controlled by the Palestinian Authority, or it's called PA, and they control that area there. You notice that Jerusalem is included as part of that area. The old part of the city of Jerusalem is included in this area called the West Bank. It's controlled by the Pal Palestinians, and this is where that famous uh, Dome of the Rock is located, a very holy Islamic site is located in that, that area. Now, one of the encouraging things about this entire uh, struggle is that the Palestinians Palestinian Authority does not like Hamas. These two are, are fighting for control of the area. They do not like each other, and I think that's a good thing. And then you've got the smaller area that's located right between Egypt, Israel, and Gaza. That is the area from which this attack took place. It's called Gaza. Uh, Hamas attacked from that area there. And there's something we need to understand about that, ti that tiny area there. Um, the media will get this wrong, and I don't know if they're being delete, uh, deliberately deceitful or not, but they make it sound like Israel's oppression of the people that live in Gaza is the problem, that the Israeli presence there has made it very hard to live in that area, and so that's what this battle is about. That is not true. Uh, the Israeli soldiers left that area, all military presence, Jewish people, everybody left that area on September 12, 2005. And so the area has been controlled by Hamas all this time, and frankly, they've done a horrible job. And that also, that is not my opinion. I'm hoping that most of the things I say here today are just not, it's not just my opinion. I was listening to a PBS program, and PBS is not known for being particularly conservative. They had a Middle Eastern expert there who's written, uh, written several books on this. He really knows what he's talking about. And he said Hamas has done a horrible, horrible job managing that land. They've not cared for their people. And a lot of international aid is pouring into that area all the time. In fact, I understand that most of the people that live there are being supported by military aid. And yet, Hamas has been taking those supplies, including, as many of you know, the pipes that were sent there to help them with their water. They've used those to make bombs. But 
Hamas has controlled this area since June 15th of 2007. Now, there's no doubt that some of the measures that Israel has taken and Egypt has taken to protect their borders has not made it easy because they have had land, air, and sea blockades around the whole area there. Israel has, but also Egypt, both. They control who goes in and out of that region. And I imagine it's, it's been tough for them. And by the way, as Christians, I think our heart just goes out to all who are suffering. You know, the innocent people that are in Gaza there, our hearts should break about their conditions and what they're going through, as well as those who are suffering in Israel as well. We just care about human life. This attack, though, came from that area. Who exactly is Hamas? Well, BBC explains Hamas is a Palestinian militant group which rules the Gaza Strip. It is sworn to Israel's destruction and wants to replace it with an Islamic state. Hamas has fought several wars with Israel since it took power in Gaza in 2007. Now again, this is the BBC. It's not some Christian organization. They're a militant group. They control the area and they are sworn to Israel's destruction. And that's really what this is about. Now let's go back to this map again. And I want to give you a little bit of perspective related to this Gaza Strip. So the Gaza Strip is about 25 miles long. It's a little over five miles wide. And part of the problem is that 2.3 million people live there. That's a lot of people. In fact, this is one of the most densely populated areas in the world. And so I think this is part of the issue that, that is taking place in that part of the world. Now, the border between Israel and Hamas is heavily fortified. And let me show you a picture of that. Where Israel, and again, you notice Egypt at the bottom there, that's one of the crossings. It's through Egypt. Part of the problem, by the way, as you know, if you're watching the news, is that Egypt doesn't want anyone to get out in the midst of all of this. And so as uh, the citizens have been commanded or told you have to go south there, Egypt is not helping out. Now, there this, it's a very strong border. There's a neutral area there. There's an intense area there, but it, it was heavily guarded. Again, according to the BBC, on the ground, along the tense border fence between Gaza and Israel, there are cameras, ground motion sensors, and regular army patrols. The barbed wire topped fence is supposed to have been a smart barrier to prevent exactly the sort of infiltration that has taken place in this attack. Yet the militants of Hamas simply bulldozed their way through it, cut holes in the wire, or entered Israel from the sea or by paraglider. Now, Something that is important for all of us to understand in terms of biblical events is that Hamas is not acting alone. And this is, again, something widely uh, understood by the international community. They are being supported by Iran. Yah Yahoo News indicated that there, this area, the Hamas, has been re receiving funds, weapons, and training from Iran. And, of course, Iran is supported by Russia. And China, you could see how this could easily turn into something that's a lot bigger than we would like. Now, the timing of this attack was very, very significant. It came after the anniversary of the Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur War in 1973. So 50 years ago, 
Another attack took place that was very, very similar to this one. That attack, again, surprised Israel. Now, on that occasion, it was an Arab coalition that was led by Egypt and Syria. And they attacked this small nation, and Israel won. Now, one thing I, I think we need to realize about this is that this is a God thing. Now, we'll see in a minute that I'm convinced that God has a plan for Israel, but I want you to think for a moment. If you look at a world map, you'll see how tiny Israel is. It's a dot. It's a dot on the map. And you would think that because it's surrounded by its enemies, I mean, as of 73, remember, Egypt was against them. Nobody around them likes them. And so everyone wants them removed from the, the world, that those who are surrounding them. Now, again, they have diplomatic relations with some of these countries, but that could turn on a dime. And yet, you'd think that all that would need to happen is all these nations would just band together and come in and just take over and kill everybody, which people have tried to do that, of course, in the past. They've tried to wipe out Israel. They've not been able to do it. And some of these battles have been miraculous, especially the one in 1967. If you research that, you realize this is absolutely miraculous. Now, one thing to keep in mind, despite all the attacks on Israel, we know nobody will succeed. Israel will continue to be a nation because Jesus Christ is coming back and he's gonna rule from that exact country. He is gonna rule from Jerusalem. And what we know from Zechariah 2.8, if you're taking notes, Zechariah 2.8, Israel is regarded as the apple of God's eye. And Zechariah 2.8 is referring to a future event, but it includes the past as well. Now, this is kind of the background of what's happened. This unprovoked attack, Israel has been responding. We don't know where this is going to go. We suspect soldiers are going to to enter into Hamas. I don't know if they maybe already have at this point. Up to, the po- up to this point, it was just air attacks. And so we got this battle going on that could, again, become a worldwide thing. The battle in, in uh, uh, 50 years ago almost became a worldwide thing because the U.S. and Russia both got involved with that and it could have really turned into something bad. Now, with that background in mind, I want to talk about what I think is a Christian response to this. You know, should we support Israel? Should we support the alleged abuses that have taken place in those white Palestinian areas? Because there is some agreement that those, those groups do not get along and maybe some things have happened between those. Do we support that? My takeaway here today, and I don't believe this could be disputed by anyone that believes the Bible is the word of God. My takeaway today is this that Israel is at the heart of God's redemptive plan for humanity. Israel is at the very heart of God's redemptive plan, and this has been true since before God created the heavens and the earth. Now, Jesus indicated that. You remember he had a conversation with this woman, a Samaritan woman, and she was asking the question, you know, where should you worship? Should you worship on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, or should you worship over in Jerusalem? And do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said salvation is from the Jews. And this is really true. God's eternal plan it centers around this one nation through whom the Messiah would come. And one day we know, of course, he's coming back to reign. Now, that's the main point. Israel's at the heart of the redemptive plan. Let me give you several subpoints under that. The first one is this, that God created Israel. God created the nation. The nation of Israel is unlike any nation ever. 
It's unlike any nation that has ever existed because God himself created it. Now, I googled online the question, how are nations formed? And I love the fact that now when you Google things, there's a kind of a summary at the top that seems like it's verified. This is what the answer was. Basically, if a group of people has a shared sense of nationalism, they form a nation. The ideal of nationalism believes that once a group has defined itself as a nation, they have a natural right to territory necessary to live in and govern. And so you've got this group of people. Most of the time, they have a common heritage, and they come together, and they form a nation, and they establish their boundaries, and hopefully, they thrive there. But the key point is this. Many people come together to form one nation. This is exactly opposite of what happened with Israel. In the case of Israel, God called a nation into existence when there was, there was one man and his wife. God prophesied, this is what I'm going to do. This is what he was going to do. And this man, Abraham, and his wife, they not only were childless when God approached them, but they were incapable of having children. And so most nations are from many to one, but in the case of Israel, it's one to many. And it's beginning, especially because they were incapable of having children, is miraculous. And so it should be undeniable to us that this is a nation that God formed. In Genesis 17, 7 and 8, we read these words. God said this to Abraham. I will keep my covenant between me and you and your future offspring throughout your generations as an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you're residing, all the land of Canaan, as an eternal possession, and I will be their God. Now, this is miraculous. Now, God, by the way, did this so that he might bless the whole world. Remember how God said to Abraham, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. God put a laser focus on this nation that he was going to create so that the whole world would look upon that and find the Savior, Jesus. Now, let me make a couple points related to those verses that I just read. The first one is this, that God has made an eternal covenant with Israel. God made an eternal covenant with them. In verse 7, let me read it again. I will keep my covenant or promise between me and you, Abraham, and your future offspring throughout your generations as an everlasting covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. It's an eternal promise God made with Israel. And then second, God gave the land of Israel to Israel. Look at verse 8 again. And to you and your future offspring, I give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as an eternal possession, and I will be their God. The land that Israel is currently operating belongs to Israel. God gave it to them. He has, of course, the right to do this. Now, I recognize if people don't believe the Bible is true or they don't ex accept what God's word says, they're not going to accept this. But God is the one who gave that land to them, and he specifically defined even the exact borders. If you go in the Old Testament, you'll find out the exact borders that God had promised to give to the land of Israel. In addition to this, by the way, contrary to what some news agencies will say, 
uh, Israel does indeed have a historic right to be there as well. So I've, I've heard some interviews, I've been baffled by these interviews that say, well, we were here first when Israel's been there for thousands of years. It's ridiculous. Islam did not come until thousands of years later. So Israel would have a claim on the land if, if for no other reason than they were there first. Now, at the present time, Israel does not possess all the land that God has given to them. Uh, one day they will. One day even the Palestinian areas will be given back to Israel. We know that. But it's right for them to claim this land. And again, there's no, no nation like Israel that God formed and then he said, I'm going to give you this land and you're going to be my people forever. But let me make some other points here. And by the way, about Israel for a moment and that land, I view Israel as a miracle in 70 AD, the Romans came in to Jerusalem, as many of you know, and, and they destroyed the temple and destroyed the city and they exiled all the Jewish people and the Jewish people were spread throughout the world. Normally, if something like that would happen in a nation, what would happen is these people would move to uh, whatever country they wanted to go to in order to survive. They would intermarry with the people and Israel should have ceased to exist. But a miraculous thing happened on May 14th, 1948, where the people had been coming back to Israel. God specifically promised, I'm going to bring you back to the land, and they were declared to be a nation. I'm just telling you that that's impossible had it not been for God. God has somehow preserved them. God even started that, by the way, when they were in Egypt. A, a little detail found in the book of Exodus, if you read it, you, you, it's easy to skip over. But we read that when Joseph went down there, you remember, and he brought his family down there, there's a phrase that appears several times, and that is that shepherds are abhorrent to the Egyptians. You know, the Egyptians don't eat with the uh, shepherds, and that's most of Israel, their families, they were shepherds, and they had herds and flocks, and they were despised by the Egyptians. Well, this is, was God's way of preserving them as a, a unique people so that they didn't intermarry because the Egyptians couldn't stand them for other reasons other than that they were Jewish. Now, let me make some other points here. Again, my main takeaway, Israel's at the heart of God's redemptive plan for humanity, that God is the one who created Israel. He made this eternal covenant with them and he gave them land. Because all this is true, my next point also is true. God will bless those who bless Israel. Now, when we're first introduced to Abraham, he was, um, he and his family, I mean, they, they worshiped idols. Scripture says that he came from an idolatrous family. God, out of his mercy, reached down to Abraham. And back then, he was called Abram. And this is what God said to Abram in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, it's because of this verse and others like it that Christians support Israel. In fact, many feel like the prosperity of our country is at least indirectly, if not directly related to our support of the nation of Israel. God said, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who don't. I will stand in opposition to those that don't. 
The thing about it is some people say, well, this was this blessing, cursing business. Um, it's not something that applies today. That's what some people say. No, it does. Uh, this promise was not just made to Abraham. So if we fast forward just a little bit, Abraham had a son whose name was Isaac, and then Isaac had the 12, um, I'm sorry, Isaac had a son named Jacob. So Jacob, or Israel, was the grandson of Abraham. And he's the one that had the 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. So you got this guy named Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. And this was the prophecy that was made over Jacob or Israel by his father. Genesis 27, 29. Those who curse you will be cursed. Those who bless you will be blessed. And so passed on to his grandson. Now about 500 years are going to pass. A group of people, about two million descendants of Abraham, found themselves in Egypt. They were, they were enslaved. And you remember God sent Moses to deliver them out of Egypt. And as the, the Jewish people were making their way across, heading toward the promised land, we read that there's a king named Balak who decided to attack Israel. And, and how he wanted to do it was he hired a prophet named Balaam to curse Israel. Now, Balaam is a mystery. If you read the story of Balaam, he was a guy that prophesied for God, but he was a godless man. So there's just a mystery there. But everyone knew that his prophecies came true. He would be speaking for God. So Balak, this king, seeing Israel coming across, hired Balaam to curse Israel. Well, Balaam said to Balak, um, I can only say what God allows me to say. And his prophecy over Israel was not to curse Israel. In Numbers 24 and verse 9, he said this, He crouches, he lies down like a lion or lioness. Who dares to rouse him? Those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be blessed, or will be cursed. You realize that this blessing, cursing business has not gone away. Which brings me to my next point. God expects believers to defend Israel during the tribulation period. God is expecting us to, to defend Israel, to support Israel in the tribulation period, the seven-year tribulation period. Now, some of you heard a message I did on July 9th. If you haven't listened to that, I actually encourage you to listen to it. It's, it's a prophecy message, and, and attached to that message is a handout that you can print out. But on July 9th, I spoke about a parable that's found in Matthew chapter 25. It's, it's the parable of the, the sheep and the goats. And if you know the, the parable, <clears throat> the, the timeline for the parable, or at least the context of the parable, is that it occurs during the seven-year tribulation period. And you, you under, what happens in the parable is that the king comes back, which is Jesus, and when he comes back, we read he separates the sheep from the goats. So most of you have heard that idea. You separate the sheep from the goats, and, and the sheep are going to be invited into Christ's millennial kingdom. The goats are going to be sent to their eternal destiny, a place of judgment. So again, we read about this in Matthew 25. Let me read verses 31 to 34 again. 
when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he'll sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate, separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, if you heard my July 9th message, you know that in the parable that I'm not going to go into depth on the parable, but you know that in this parable, there are three groups that are mentioned there. There are sheep, there are goats, and there's a group called brethren. And I made the point that the brethren in this story are Jews. They're the brethren of Jesus, the physical descendants of Israel. And so you've got the brethren, you've got the sheep and the goats. And the one thing that reveals whether someone is a sheep or a goat, because you certainly don't want to be the goat. The one thing that reveals whether a sheep or a goat in that parable is how the people treated Israel. The sheep were ones who, during this tribulation period, helped Israel, supported Israel. The goats are the ones who didn't. Now, many of you know, if you know something about the end times event, uh, events that are going to take place. And by the way, online, we have our, this, the Revelation series is online there that I did some a uh, while ago. But we know that what's going to happen, in my perspective, the, the next thing that's happening in the biblical timeline is that there's going to be a seven-year agreement with Israel. And a man that is going to be referred to as the Antichrist is going to make a peace agreement with Israel. And we know from Scripture that he is going to break that agreement in the middle. And so when this agreement is first made, uh, all of Israel is going to celebrate it. We know they're, they're going to celebrate this thing, but in the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist and the forces with him are going to try to exterminate all the Jews on the planet. That's going to be the goal, to rally the entire world against the Jewish people. Now, the ones who support Israel again during this horrible time in this parable are indeed sheep. And you remember how Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd and my sheep. They're Christians. Now, many people feel like, well, if Christians are supporting the Jewish people during that seven-year period, obviously it means they're Christians that are here. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I will be here necessarily all of us are hoping that the rapture comes first, this calling up to be with Jesus before the seven years even starts or right at the signing of this agreement. That's what we hope, but it's possible. I think it's possible we'll be here. In either case, during that seven-year tri tribulation period, there are going to be a lot of converts to Christ. The, the, the main final sign that Christ is coming back is that the gospel will go out to the whole world and the end will come. So there are going to be a lot of believers in Jesus. And so what's going to happen is this intense persecution is going to take place in the middle of the tribulation. And there are going to be a handful of people, Christians, who are going to care about the suffering of the Jewish people and they're going to take care of them. Dr. Barberi explains this. In the view of the distress in the tribulation period, it is clear that any believing Jew will have a difficult time surviving. The forces of the world dictator will, will be doing everything possible to exterminate all Jews. A Gentile, 
All the Jews. A Gentile going out of his way to assist a Jew in the tribulation will mean that Gentile has become a believer in Jesus Christ. And so taking care of the Jewish people during the tribulation doesn't make someone a Christian. That's not the case, but it is going to reveal which ones are and which ones aren't. Now, again, I mentioned a moment ago that the Jewish people, when the Antichrist comes, they're going to think this is it. And for three and a half years, they're going to have relative peace and safety. They're going to be celebrating it, but in the middle, it's going to get really bad. And the Apostle Paul talked about this in 1 Thessalonians 5.3. He said, when they say peace and security, then sudden destruction comes on them like labor pains come on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And so right at the time where we're thinking we finally have world peace, this thing is going to break out. And Jesus talked about it as well. In Matthew 24, beginning in verse 15, Jesus said, when you see the abomination that causes desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, the abomination is the Antichrist, and he's going to come to completely desolate Israel. When you see that person spoken by Daniel, standing in the holy place, which is the temple area in Jerusalem, let the reader understand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not go down, come down to get things out of his house. And a man in the field must not go back to get his clothes. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray that your escape may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For at that time there will be great tribulation, the kind that hasn't taken place from the beginning of the world until now and never will again. We might think things are getting bad, but this is going to be this is going to be the worst thing that's ever happened. A, a complete annihilation. This guy is going to go out to exterminate every Jewish person. It raises the question, why? And it's because the devil doesn't want all this to happen with Israel. You remember what the devil did when Jesus was born? He inspired Herod to go after and kill the Christ child. He tried to murder him, but God warned Joseph and Mary, so they fled to Egypt. The devil, the devil knew that if he could kill the child before he became an adult, then this whole plan of God to redeem the world couldn't take place. Well, Satan also knows that Israel's at the very heart of God's prophetic plan. If he could destroy Israel, and many have tried to do it, Hitler's goal was to wipe them all out. Others throughout history, there are many, many examples where leaders have gone and tried to wipe out every single Jewish person. Why? Because, well, prophecy indicates that there'll be at least 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel that will be ushered into Jesus' millennial kingdom. But if you could kill them all first, and that's the plan. So this is a de demonic plan. Now, as Christians, we support Israel for all the things I've just mentioned here, but I want you to understand that supporting Israel does not mean we support every decision their leaders make. We don't necessarily support everything they do. If you read your Bible, you know that some of the kings or leaders of Israel of the past were godless. They were wicked people. They aren't worthy. Those individuals are not worthy of support, but the nation of Israel, they're the heartbeat of our God. Which brings me to the last point I want to make before I get to some applications, and that is that God promises that Israel will win in the end. 
If you side with Israel, you're siding with the winner. Jesus was Jewish. He's physically coming back. He will reign in Jerusalem. We know there'll be 144,000. And at that time, by the way, I believe these Jewish people will understand for the first time what they did in terms of the, the crucifixion and everything else because the Bible talks about the fact they're going to weep like somebody who lost a firstborn son. They're like, what have we done? And there's going to be a national conversion that's going to take place at that point where they're going to put their trust in Christ. So what do we do with this? Well, let me summarize my points and give a few applications. Israel's again at the heart of God's redemptive plan for humanity. God created the nation. He made an eternal covenant with Israel. He gave them that land. He promised to bless those who blessed Israel. He expects believers to defend Israel during the tribulation, which again suggests to me that we're to be doing it now. And God promises Israel is going to win in the end. So what are some applications? Number one, I want to say don't be afraid. And again, I invite you back next week as we continue this series about fear. Don't, don't be afraid. God, if anything, this story of Israel should demonstrate God is sovereign. Nothing can happen outside of his will. God is God. And we need to experience that in our own lives and recognize the sovereignty of God. In Psalm 46, 1 and 2, we read, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea. We do not need to be afraid. Second, watch. I'm convinced that the return of Christ is near. Now, the reason I think that, every generation thought that. My dad thought that, and Christ didn't come back in his lifetime. Why do we think it's going to happen in our lifetime? Well, because of the prophecies that are being fulfilled, I believe, before our very eyes. The fact that Israel, for example, became a nation on May 14, 1948, I, I think that was the beginning. A lot of the prophecies in Scripture could not be fulfilled until that one event happened. But the Bible talks about a lot of other things that are going to happen. It talks about technology increasing in the last days. Is that not happening? It talks about wars and rumors of wars. Is that not happening? It talks about pestilence and earthquakes. Is that not all happening? And so I believe that we are this generation. And so I don't think we need to be afraid. And I don't think we're ready to point to this. This is the beginning of this or that. But let's keep our eyes open. Mark 13, 33. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. So stay awake. Third, I encourage you to pray. Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 7, Now the end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and disciplined for prayer. Peter thought of it back then, like it's going to be soon. How much more is it true for us today? What should we be praying about? Well, I think we should be praying for the peace of Israel. One of the Psalms talks about pray for peace in Israel. Pray for those who are innocent, who are suffering. On both sides, again, our heart goes out to anyone who is suffering unjustly because of this. Pray for protection of the hostages. Pray for, I believe, the Israeli forces, the IDF, the soldiers who are fighting this battle for protection. I've met some of these soldiers, by the way. Pray for provision for those whose homes have been destroyed. Pray for personal peace and comfort for those who are suffering, those who have lost loved ones. And I encourage you to pray for the Jews all around the world, but we should be praying. And I encourage you every single day to be praying for the peace of Israel and what's happening over there. The final point I want to make is this, that I think we should be supporting the Jewish people, and there are different ways to do that. 
But again, Matthew 25 and verse 40, Jesus said, and the king will answer them, I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. It's one of the ways in which we serve Christ. Now, there are a lot of great organizations out there that you could give to. One of them is JewsForJesus.org. We support this organization as a church. And they're on the ground. They have people on the ground right now, and some of them have suffered as a result of this. Some are missing, I understand. But you can give to that. Samaritan's Purse also has a presence right there. But I encourage you to also support in a financial way what's going on there. Let's pray. Father, we recognize none of this has caught you by surprise. We thank you that you are God, that you're sovereign. We thank you for this amazing, amazing plan that you came up with to send your son through a nation that didn't even exist. We thank you for the future and the confidence we have that he's coming back to reign one day. In the meantime, Lord, we ask you for grace. We ask you that you give us peace. We pray for those who are suffering. We pray even through all of this that many would find Christ, that they'd find Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. I know the gospel's going out boldly right now, even in Israel, through this organization, Jews for Jesus, and I'm grateful for that. So Lord, we just ask you to help us and lead us and, and make your way, your will known to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. That concludes our time this morning. Next week again, we wanna continue our series on dealing with fear. Have a blessed week.